0: Hey everybody, this is Tom Salemi and you are listening to the MedTech Talk podcast. We're going to get hardcore medtech right now. This is good old-fashioned orthopedics talk. We spoke with Tim Patrick. He's the CEO of Cartiva. And uh, before I go on, I'll uh, I'll confess my love for the orthopedic sector. I just think it's uh It's just a great sector because it's so easy for me, at least, to, to, to understand. And it provides immediate relief to the people who have the procedures. And there's so many people who need that kind of help, who live day to day with aches and pains that slow them down and keep them from exercising and keep them from enjoying their families. And no, it's not as literally life or death as cancer or cardiovascular things and other things, other diseases that can uh that can cost someone the ultimate price. But it is something very meaningful. Uh living in pain is is a terrible thing. And uh it's something that I think the the, the that goes mm, unreported or underappreciated sometimes. That living with pain, just even what can be considered moderate aches and pains, can be a real life changer. So it's great to see when new technologies come around that can provide uh, simpler treatment for those uh, those uh, conditions like arthritis that can uh, just really, really slow someone down. And Cartiva is one of those companies. The FDA this month approved its synthetic cartilage. Uh, the first application is in the toe. Uh, Cartiva is going to go for other applications in the future. And uh, it, this is just really a game changer. I mean, if we could move away from fusion uh, when it's not necessary and provide some... Uh, some artificial cartilage to really cushion the blow. That would just provide relief for so many people without them having to to suffer with the uh, the discomfort of of fusion. So this is a great conversation. Tim Patrick is a pure med tech guy. He did cancer before this, and we'll get into his background. And uh, he's been working at uh, Cartiva and Cardicept for, uh, for a very, very long time. So Without any further ado, let's just get into this conversation with Tim Patrick, CEO of Cartiva. Hey, Tim Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Great to be with you here today. It's uh, it's great to have you because you've got a, a great bit of news for for medtech and for orthopedics in particular. Orthopedics is a A great space, one I've always sort of enjoyed covering. I think because I understand it well enough, (laughs) and also because I suspect I'll need some help with that between my aching knees and everything else. So I'm very grateful to you folks out there who are both investing and leading these companies. It makes me sleep a little bit better at night, and I think uh, Cartiva's product is one that kind of has me excited as a future future sufferer of pain—or not too bad, I (laughs) hope—but. you 've got the first synthetic cartilage implant approved by the fda, which is uh, which is just fantastic. Can, can you tell us a bit about the the technology what what was approved, what it does and and how it can be used Sure well, as you mentioned it 's really the first uh, fda uh, pMA approved
1: device that is a synthetic cartilage and and it 's cartilage like so the material itself is a polymer. And it is, like cartilage, extremely low friction. So it's very slippery. Uh, importantly, like cartilage, it's also compressible. So it uh, takes up some of the weight when uh, on every step or, or movement of the joint. Uh, and it's also very durable. So the wear is very low in this material. And essentially, what we do with this is when there's a cartilage defect uh, generally as a result of osteoarthritis, whether that defect is at the base of the the the, the great toe, the base of the thumb uh, perhaps in a knee, um, we can go in and place our product in a press fit simple surgical procedure we we press fit it into the area where the defect occurred, so we can essentially put in a new uh, cartilage-like bearing surface on one side of the joint only, where it still has the natural cartilage on the other side of the joint and a and a natural bearing surface. So it's unique in that the, probably the two existing methods to repair joints today would either be to fuse them uh, or to put a hard material like a metal and a uh, and a polyethylene on either side of that joint. So it's unique in that we can resurface a single side of that joint uh do it in a quick, simple procedure, and maintain motion for the patient
0: what is uh what is particularly tricky about the cartilage i mean it, it you think about it and, it and it's got a very simple function but um you know it's it's a lot more complex than just making a titanium joint it's it's what are the qualities of cartilage that make it so uh complicated to sort of replicate?
1: Well, I think one of the qualities that's very challenging with uh, uh, cartilage in particular is that, it's, is that it is avascular. So if we damage an organ, skin, bone, or you know some other component of our body, uh, it's normally vascularized and so that we can regrow that wound in our, say, our, our skin cartilage doesn't work that way. By the time you're in your teens, you've got about all the cartilage you're ever going to have. Uh, and while you have that smooth, slippery, gliding surface, our lives are now just a process of wearing that down. And the body doesn't really have a good way of replacing that existing cartilage when it's damaged. It's really unique in that way because it's avascular and that and that material doesn't regrow. And that's why we see the the biggest part of the orthopedic business really in putting a a new metallic ceramic or polyethylene bearing surface on both sides of a joint. But that is really not cartilage-like. That's just putting a new bearing surface in. So having cartilage which is extremely slippery, predominantly water, and compressible so that it spreads the load into the underlying bone – uh, has really been an objective for years, and uh, we're just happy to be the first folks that have been able to conduct a clinical trial and get this through the rigorous
0: FDA PMA process. I love that thought. Our, our life is just the process of wearing that down. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to look at to look at how you move through the day, <laughs> every step you take. <laughs> It's a little well. At least with
1: cartilage, hopefully, (laughs) you know, we can we can build muscles and other things through uh, activity, but we can't really build new cartilage, unfortunately. Not yet. I'm sure you're you're working on something. Not yet. I I hope you are, for
0: my sake. Uh, What is the origin of the technology? Uh,
1: Originally, this technology came out of Georgia Tech. So, a professor at Georgia Tech by the name of David Koo came up with this idea that uh, we could. Have a polymer material, and in, in this case, it's a biocompatible uh, polymer uh, made of a material called uh, polyvinyl alcohol. And it came out of Georgia Tech, where he came up with a manufacturing method where he could make it cartilage-like. That is, you know, compressible but still tough and low friction, uh, and and essentially was then able to. We were able to. Uh, acquire that technology and move it into clinical studies and get that product commercialized.
0: And, and it, again, it, the way it's applied is not an injection. You, you, the, the surgeon goes in there and actually packs packs it on to the joint at where it needs to be.
1: Yeah, so that's a really good question. And there's always a lot of uh, questions about exactly how this is applied. Um, essentially what we have is a cylinder. So imagine a cylinder that is one, one cil- uh, centimeter tall and a centimeter in diameter. And we take a uh, drill and we're drilling out the defective cartilage site. And we have different sizes of these cylinders. And then once that's drilled out to a depth of about a centimeter, we then take that little cylinder of synthetic cartilage and Press fit it into the defect area. So, so that's it's a simple procedure, and we're essentially taking that defective area and just press fitting in a new bearing
0: surface. Interesting. And what were the? the you had the motion clinical trial, right? That was your clinical trial. What, that's what, correct. How, it was 236 patients, multicenter, is randomized. So this is this is the real deal. You you kind of went all out. How long did it take you to put that together? Uh, I can't imagine you had a hard time finding people to participate in it, but what was the how long did it take you, and what was that whole process like?
1: Well, sure. we We actually ran the study uh, in Canada and the u k, and we started that process. we We had initial discussions with the Food and Drug Administration about the study uh, in two thousand and eight. and then we enrolled our first patient in that study in two thousand and nine. Uh, the study was then completed in 2013. Was our final patient that was enrolled? So, uh, you know, the, it, this ended up being the largest study that had ever been done for arthritis at the base of the great toe, uh, and we ended up with 12 sites, six in the UK and six in Canada. As we move this forward, so so yeah, it, it, it's a pretty lengthy process to get. Uh, the site signed up to get through the contracts, ethics approval, uh, et cetera. Uh, as much as we'd like that to go forward, we're in some ways at the mercy of the pace that uh, each institution uh, is willing to take it through. So it takes a while to get these things set up. But um, you know, it took us a few years to get the patients accrued. And then the FDA wants to see two-year follow-up on every patient so the gating item is really the time you've accrued the last patient you then need to wait two years from that and then of course there's data analysis that happens after that point so just by the nature that it's a two-year follow-up on every patient makes it a uh, a pretty lengthy process so in our case if you look at this starting in 2008 and submitting the pma to fda in 2015 it uh, gives you some idea of how long it took us to get through this entire process.
0: Wow, that is a uh, that is obviously a long time. Not necessarily in med tech because some things take longer, neurostimulation and such, but you would think that this is a fairly simple technology that wouldn't have required uh, as much time. What was... What were some of the challenges in that? And You kind of hit upon them in your previous question, and and just to clarify, you didn't do you didn't have any patients or centers in the U.S. This was all U.K. and Canada.
1: Yes, uh, it was all U.K. and Canada. By the time we, we had an enrollment goal, and we were concurrently doing doing some additional work that the FDA had requested. By the time we submitted that data to the FDA, we had accrued uh, the the study target, uh, the two hundred thirty six patients in the UK and Canada, so we did not end up accruing any patients in the United States in the, in the clinical study.
0: So, and, and the results were were pretty much off the charts. Looking at some of the, the key findings, I think you had a, it was a 93% reduction in median pain, uh, 168% improvement in median function for sporting activities, 65% improvement for daily living. I mean, they, they seem to be a very, very clear, uh, a clear success. This trial, this trial, the trial results were clearly successful. What did, did did it? Did was there any sort of uncertainty that this wouldn't get approval? Was there any pushback from the agency or anybody else uh, that this might not go through?
1: Well, I think as we're as we're moving forward uh, through the clinical study, uh, I will tell you that that a lot of it is just you know we end up having a fair amount of nervous moments because we are blinded to the study. Uh, we're blinded to the clinical data. Until we have all of the two-year data in and it's unblinded so other than having a physician tell us that uh, you know patient X or patient Y seemed to do well We were blinded and had no way of knowing what the clinical data looked like so while we had done uh, uh, the product's been CE marked for some time so while we had treated a lot of patients in Europe and they'd been successfully treated with this the same device and the same procedure uh we certainly didn't know what the results of the clinical trial were going to be uh until we we were you know we kind of unblinded that uh in you know 2014 so um, yeah I mean I think there's some nervous moments about it and then when you when you do have the data uh, you know the FDA is going to continue to have a lot of questions so they're 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 a diligent group in orthopedics and uh, they're going to make sure that the product is safe and effective and continue to uh, ask us a lot of questions so that process just continues so I would say even up until the April 20th panel meeting, you were confident that you've got great clinical data and you know that you'll ultimately prevail, but you don't know how long that process is going to take. And so that's, that's some of the, I think that's some of the, the challenge in the process is that um, while, you've, while we had great data, it took us a long time before we knew we had that because we were blinded to it. Uh, and then when you do have it, you're continuing to answer questions that the FDA has and, and trying to do that as
0: diligently as you possibly can. No no doubt there's some tense moments there. So, so what, is, uh, what is next? What does commercialization look like? Is this the only uh, – are you selling directly? Or are you selling to distributors? What's, what's the plan look like? So the plan right now is to have a hybrid model. So we have uh,
1: our own team – uh, we've got a few folks that are uh, have great experience in this area and have been with the company for a while now. So we'll use that group to to essentially beachhead the procedure, and then we will in, then we intend to have a series of uh, distributors throughout the country, uh, independent reps and distributors who will uh, fill in in those other
0: areas for us. So has the the rollout obviously has has started? Uh, how, how are things looking at this point so far?
1: So we had uh, we 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 just got approval July the first, and until that point, because the product's not approved for marketing, we really can't have discussions with distributors or anyone else about uh, pricing strategy, etc. So we're very Uh, conservative in terms of not having those kinds of discussions until we knew we had an approval in hand. Um, We then have the the big annual foot and ankle meeting, which is the AOFAS meeting in Toronto. Uh, That's coming up um, here July the 20th, and that will really be the commercial introduction to the U.S. market uh, is that meeting that, that's coming up here next week. So that's really our first introduction to the physicians. And then we'll begin to uh, engage different distributors and independent reps after that meeting. But our, our our full focus has been, number one, on getting the approval, and then after that, getting prepared for uh, uh, an introduction to the physician community at the AOFAS meeting.
0: So did you have two different booths? for this meeting coming up? Like one smaller booth if you haven't received approval yet and one bigger booth if you did receive approval?
1: <laughs> no. You know, as a, as, as a startup, we couldn't afford two booths. So what we had was a series of, of graphics that said now approved and then we had a large box of sheets that we would put over those uh, I- in the event that we didn't have clearance.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and now you can just put, so, some, put some white out and just, just get rid of the not approved and just have approved.
1: Right. You know, And it's, it's funny, but it's, uh, you, you bring up something that's funny, but it's not without a lot, a lot of discussion here, which is, you know, we were confident we, we would get a clearance uh, on, on July the 1st, but there's no guarantee and so we it it is a little difficult to be preparing two different methods for for the but, but we uh hey we're a startup we rolled the dice and we put the uh, we put the now approved on there and fortunately we're going to be able to
0: use that at the, at the meeting well, That might be the difference between orthopedics and ophthalmology cuz i know accufocus had uh, last year had two boots one one if the camera inlay was approved and one if it wasn't so uh. They fortunately got the approval, so they were able to use the, the big one. Hi, Tom here. I want to take a quick break from this great conversation with Tim Patrick to remind you to go to com. Sign up for our newsletter, the MedTech Talk newsletter. It's the uh, companion to this podcast. Uh, do that. Give us your email, and each week we'll send you this podcast, our articles, our videos, all of our MedTech coverage for the low, low price of nothing. All you have to do is give us your email at medtechconference.com. Dot com. Now back to this conversation. Uh, so, what? Let's. I mean, let's talk about orthopedics. I mean, this is a space, and as I opened up, I, it's a space I enjoy. Uh, but on the on the venture side, it's been a little sleepy because uh, you know a lot of this, the spine certain area has certainly taken its hit, and we can discuss whether or not spine is part of orthopedics. But I'll throw it in there for now. Um, but in terms of innovation for startups in, in orthopedics, there's there's not a lot of stories like yours. Or at least not getting the attention, perhaps that they should. What is your sense of uh, the startup scene in orthopedics, and what does an approval like this do for the orthopedic sector? Well,
1: I think you're. I think you're exactly right. First of all, that there really has not been a lot of uh, innovation of late, and part of that is because it's very difficult with these. Uh, I would say uh, increased regulatory barriers. Uh, you know, just for a company to have two-year follow-up on every patient and to run a large clinical study, that is going to knock an awful lot of technologies or companies out of the box right there. I mean, you're talking about a, a process that now at a minimum is going to run, you know, tens and tens of millions of dollars to conduct a PMA-type uh, clinical study uh, in order to get approval, and knowing that you can't get approval unless you do that. So,
0: Just the cost of it, you're saying, not the fact that they wouldn't necessarily do well in those tests, but just the, the, the daunting notion of funding such a thing? Uh,
1: the, the daunting notion of having the, the patients, and that's probably been the most difficult thing for the company, is having the patients to continue to methodically plod through a clinical study when, you know, a lot of the kind of personalities involved in startups are not necessarily the most patient type of people. So, you know, we're kind of working very patiently to get the long clinical study done. And then in the interim, you know, we have to raise money during a period of time where we don't know what the data is. And, you know, we're extremely fortunate to have good investors like New Enterprise Associates and Domain who are, and Wyndham Venture Partners who have supported us uh, during this long process and believed that that there was a uh, a really important product here that needed to come to market. So I'm fortunate to have had a track record with some of these investors and some other companies in the past and just feel incredibly fortunate that we had a really good cast of characters in terms of investors who just had the patience and the determination to see this through. So Back to your question about orthopedics, boy, if 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 you don't have patient management and patient investors who are willing to take a lot of risk, there are only so many products that are going to make it through that uh, pretty tight sieve, if you will. So I do I think it's got the effect of, of reducing the amount of technologies that that come out the other
0: end, which is kind of crazy because I mean there's just so much need for better ways of of alleviating aches and pains, and it's something that everyone's feeling or is going to feel. It's just inevitable. As you said, we're constantly wearing down with every step on our fitbit, we're, uh, we're losing more and more cartilage. <laughs>
1: Right: We, we, we are, and, and I you know this is something now that we've run the clinical study, I can see both sides of this, which is I can see the FDA side where they want to have uh, compelling, well-done clinical studies that, that show either the benefit or lack of benefit for technologies, and the difficulty that a startup company has in getting over that hurdle. It's very lengthy uh, and it's very expensive. And so, you know, we, we think we've got something unique that is a different way of looking at uh, repairing orthopedics that isn't either metal or ceramic or polyethylene, which tend to be the materials that have been used in orthopedics. So we've got a new material that's now approved for uh, orthopedic use in cartilage repair, and that's a pretty rare thing. And given the current environment, I don't see it being... uh, any less rare in the next few years. It's just a challenging environment for a small company and its investors to get through.
0: And I I do want to get into the material in in a second, but is going back to orthopedics, is this, uh, I mean, I talk about the aches and pains and things. Is it the fact that people just are able to, you know, they just kind of chalk it up to growing older. It's not as much of a dire need as, I mean, you, you had previously been President and CEO of Proxima, which was developing a radiation system, way to deliver, and you know what it is—deliver local radiation uh, uh, delivery for uh, solid cancerous tumor. I mean, that's cancer. That's like that needs to be dealt with immediately. Is it? It is. What was? What were the two experiences like? How were they different? Leading a, a cancer company where you've really sort of got the the immediate need to, to, to save someone's life, and running an orthopedics company where again it's it's affecting everybody but perhaps the needs just aren't as dire Th-
1: that's right and it's got some i would tell you from a management team i think it really does change the way you look at things so uh you know we had uh, at the previous company proxima we had radiation delivery systems for patients with breast cancer and for patients with brain tumors it, it, it was always kind of a muted thing when we had another case that was scheduled because you knew that we were we had successfully, you know, uh, sold another product and brought a new option to a patient, a physician, and yet you knew that there was a lot of suffering from that patient, and and so it, it, it was, you know, if if our product was going to be used in another brain tumor patient, we were happy that we had provided a tool. And yet, at the same time, you're a little bit thoughtful about how difficult this whole procedure or this whole process of the disease is for the patient uh, and for that family. So, in orthopedics, it's really it's, it's not a life and death situation, uh, and but we're improving somebody's life by by getting rid of chronic pain. So, I would say part of it is it's a little bit being on the orthopedic side. Frankly, it's a little bit more fun. Um, we're we're dealing with sports medicine and and you know pe- people that are uh you know fun to be around and 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 know that they can do procedures for patients that are not uh, those patients are not uh uh you know those are not life-threatening conditions and yet they're very rewarding when you can take a patient who's had chronic pain and you can resolve that for the patient it's it's extremely rewarding so I would say it's a little bit lighter, certainly uh, on a day-to-day basis, than being involved in the in the cancer therapeutic world.
0: No, that's. I think that's obviously a fair point. I think orthopedic surgeons tend to be the the lightest bunch in the <laughs> lightest specialty around when you go to their conferences versus other conferences. Though they all manage to have a good time. They, th- that they do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a little bit about the material. Now, does, does the cartilage, your cartilage constitute a a biomaterial or because it's completely synthetic, it doesn't sort of fit into that realm because biomaterials obviously within orthopedics is an area that's gotten a lot of attention. Do you see that becoming, um, uh, uh, do you see yourself fitting into that category and maybe that providing you a a long-term path for its commercialization, finding a company that sells in that area?
1: Well, I, I think j- just to be clear about the product differentiation, uh, you're, you're, you were correct, which is, um, you know, we are putting in a new synthetic bearing surface, but that is not incorporating itself as when we put that in, uh, it is not incorporating within the body. We're not trying to stimulate cell growth. We're really putting in an off-the-shelf cartilage-like bearing surface into that defective area. I think there's been a lot of attention to uh, trying to regrow cartilage. Um, it's it's a very challenging area again because the body that that cartilage is avascular, so the body doesn't necessarily regrow that cartilage, and it's a it's a promising field, uh, but but it's probably got a long way to go until cost-effective uh, answers to our cartilage defects can be delivered by, by regrowing that with a natural material. So we think that having a synthetic bearing surface here uh, that is cartilage-like uh, is going to be attractive for decades to come, uh, and, it, and, and and hopefully at some point then uh, some technology comes out that can re- regrow cartilage and, and perhaps uh, uh, obsolete cartiva, but we don't think that happens for decades
0: mm-hmm. yet go back in the history just a second cartiva actually spun out of a company called cardicep which you founded correct that's correct how did that come together um uh, what, how was that decision made to spin the technology out rather than just develop it within Cardicept?
1: sure so this has been we, we we think it was the right thing to do at the time is to to have two separate paths for these two different technologies But I would say that it's also required a lot of explaining over the years because it's a little bit non traditional for a a venture firm or venture backed company to essentially separate into two venture backed companies. So in in 2011, uh, we had injection technology uh, used for steroid delivery and and some other orthopedic uh, products that we were selling that were combined with orthopedic ultrasound. And then we had the, the Cartiva products, which were involved in a very long clinical trial, PMA products. And while they were both geared at orthopedics, the two products really didn't fit well together. Um, one was an office call point. The other obviously took place in surgery. One was going to require a PMA, that is the Cartiva. Uh, the Carticep products were 510K products and worked together with ultrasound imaging. So it just made sense to separate these, and we did that in in 2011, generally run by the same management team but with some specific employees dedicated to the two different areas. So the companies are completely separate in terms of intellectual property and anything that would affect those technologies, um, but uh, it, it made sense at that time uh, to
0: split them into two different companies. Hmm, great. So you are, are you still CEO of Cartiva? Uh yes I am. I see. Okay. Well that does make sense. So what just last question. What is uh uh I'm sorry, I asked if you were uh CEO of Cardisep. Uh yes I'm uh, CEO of Cardicept Yeah. Understand. as well. I've got yeah. my uh, got my Cardicept and Cartiva mixed up no. <laughs> going <laughs> forward focusing now on Cartiva what is your long-term pipeline plan? Is it is it merely getting approvals uh, for other applications for your cartilage, or do you see yourself building out your product offerings into other types of uh, types of products?
1: So we currently have a, a clinical study ongoing right now uh, for Cartiva in a slightly different shape, um, being used for arthritis at the base of the thumb. So we think we've got another very interesting extremities application for this material. Uh, and it's a similar situation where a lot of people, uh, predominantly in this case uh, older women, women older than 60 or so, end up with uh, arthritis at the base of their thumb and have trouble grasping items and so forth, just day-to-day living and while there are some successful procedures used to treat that today, we think if we could just go in and repair that cartilage, we could maintain the structure in the in the thumb and the hand very effectively. So we are um, more than halfway accrued with that study right now and think that that's a really interesting application. We do have a CE mark uh, for uh, a device that treats uh, focal chondral, chondral defects in the knee, and that's uh, as another area that we're uh, developing. And then we've got some uh, other cartilage defects in other areas of the body that I won't go into any detail with you right now, where we think there's other application where uh, the Cartiva material is either uh, all or in part, you know, part of the answer there for additional cartilage defects. So we think the material's got application in many other uh, orthopedic Joints, and we're kind of methodically going through those different potential indications and 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 uh, running those to ground. And we think there's some really interesting
0: uses for this material. Oh, no doubt, and a lot of interest in the in these uh, these areas in orthopedics. So, well, thanks for the time. Get get uh, your rest. I'm sure you're going to have a busy couple of days at the uh, conference coming up.
1: Well, we're we're looking forward to it and it's an exciting time for us after and for the employees, you know, and the employees and the investors and our investigators. People have been so incredibly patient and working so long on this that it's gonna be it's really gonna be a gratifying moment for us to, to to be at this meeting and be able to talk about commercial use of our product.
0: I don't doubt it. Well, thanks again for taking the time and, and best of luck. We look forward to catching up again soon. Well, thank you,
1: Tom. I very much appreciate your interest and in, in your time in the interview today. Thank you.
0: Tim Patrick of Cartiva. Thanks for joining us on the MedTech Talk podcast. Very happy to hear the great news about your uh, artificial cartilage and uh, my knees or my toes or my thumbs will we'll thank you someday. Thank you to our MedTech Talk podcast listeners for joining us. Don't forget to go to the medtechconference.com for all of our coverage of MedTech. It's our our great pleasure to be involved in this sector. And uh, we're going to continue sending you the best MedTech coverage we can. Just go to medtechconference.com to sign up for the MedTech Talk newsletter. And if you have any thoughts about this podcast, please go to Twitter. Just tweet me. I'm at MedTechTom, real easy, at MedTechTom, We'd love to hear back from you. Thanks so much, everybody. Have a great day.